This is Wrench Nation. Car talk, car culture, car tips, car music, all that is car. Wrench Nation car talk. Call or text your questions now. Well, all right. Welcome back. Wrench Nation car talk. You guys uh, hang with us every week. We appreciate you. If you're catching the show on the replay, uh, perhaps KFNX, we so appreciate you hanging. Uh, As we say every week, the premise of the show is to take you on a journey. And uh, if you have any car care questions, you can call us 480-655-8870. Or perhaps get onto our Wrench Nation Facebook 24-7. Susie, I think some of us are hanging on the Facebook uh, 24-7. I think there's a lot of people hanging on the Facebook. Welcome to the show. Are you indicating that I hang on Facebook? Uh, Do you? I think you do. I kind of do. I know you do. Well, how about joining us and getting in the backseat of a Ferrari? This show we're dedicated to one of the legends of uh, the automotive industry. We're going back deep in time to Italy, the countryside. Enzo Ferrari, the legend behind the empire that is the Ferrari brand. And when I tell you folks, the Ferrari brand is an empire didn't happen overnight. Enzo Ferrari with special guest Luca Del Monte, an author, an amazing individual behind a lot of research from his days back at Alfa Romero, digging deep into the archives of investigating this true legend, Enzo Ferrari. That's our show topic. We're going to dive into the Ferrari brand. Uh, Luca Del Monte is going to be joining us shortly. Welcome to the show, people. You guys rock. We appreciate you every week. Susie, what's happening in the garage, man? What I mean, uh, you uh, seasons are coming. Holidays. What, what's seasons going are on? coming, absolutely. But you know what was cool today, Frank? Right before I left the shop, we had a listener walk into the shop just to check it out and say hi. And so Mazar Khan, I wanted to give a shout out there because he he's a listener, Frank. Well, he says right. he we, loves it. We appreciate you. Uh, as we always say, we're very humble, man. This has been a journey for us. We're learning a lot with you guys, you know. And speaking of which, learning uh, is huge. We want to offer you some tips. Uh, we did have something coming through the garage. And a lot of you, um, gosh, the days of where you can just plug and play parts, install a throttle position sensor or an electronic control temp sensor i've installed it i've done it it should be fixed well maybe not maybe not there's a lot of reprogramming these cars have sophisticated computers and modules and we see a lot of that in the garage so for those of you really not just with a toyota Susie, but generally speaking i would say safe bet the last five years if you are under the hood of your vehicle replacing an item like a throttle body, there are relearn procedures. Yeah, it's a key so component. So we, we had a case in the garage where uh, someone had replaced their throttle body and they were scratching their head when they were done. This thing still got a rough idle. <laughs> what did I do wrong? And everything appeared to be installed properly. And that may be you. You may be doing some work on your ride on the weekend, hanging out till your wife says, get back in the house and fix the roof. <laughs> Um, know that there are procedures that have to sort of go through this relearn. Uh, the Sienna that came in, you had to remove the 15-amp fuse for the electronic fuel injection. Uh, the 10-amp ETCS fuse from the engine compartment, you had to wait 10 minutes, and that was a simple reset procedure. So just know about that. Of course, you can call us with any of your car care questions, 480-655-8870. Uh, we thank you guys for joining us. We got a little news happening. 
right, we got uh, all kinds of awards. You, you guys have seen the Grammy Awards, the People Choice Awards, the Golden Globes, the Emmys. There's awards for everything. Everything out there has got an award. People want their awards. Susie, when's the last time you got an award? Wow, that's been a while ago. Come on, recently you had something—a hug from your husband, the hug award. Hug is husband. that an award? That kind of, I remember hey. I got an award for the uh, gift of gab. All right, there you go. But let me tell you, everybody's taking Lyft and Uber. We know this. Oh yeah, this is by everybody's got yeah. the app. But now Lyft has recognized its most popular destinations in major cities. Now, what would you call this Lyft award? Let's think about it. If you had an award to be given from Lyft, what would you say? How what would you? I mean, you have the Grammy, right? You have MTV, the Autonomous Award, the the Lifty Awards, the Lifty Awards. <laughs> <laughs> so the Lifty Awards, uh, Lyft said, you know, we got to recognize some of these uh, these big cities. Where are people going? With their lift. What are the popular places where folks are going? Well, you know, New York City is on the list. Susie, if you were in New York and you had friends taking Uber, where do you think your friends would be, Uber or Lyft, taking their Uber or Lyft? Uh, From or to? Yeah, I, I would definitely say everywhere because well, like, the traffic's pretty bad, so I'd go clubbing. All right, maybe. clubbing. Yep. Now, how would you like to know one of the popular destinations for riders in the Big Apple... They took the most trips to the Metropolitan Museum Ooh, of Art. Tour, I like yeah. that. People are getting they're getting down with culture. I like yep, that. Yeah. Now, of course, there's a lot of writers out in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a popping spot. Brooklyn uh, used to not be so popping, like Biggie Smalls popping back in the day. It wasn't really popping. <laughs> but now, of course, Brooklyn is just an amazing and incredible place, and you'll find uh, nightclubs and eateries out in Los Angeles. Uh, one of the key events uh, that people will hitch rides to. Is the Hollywood Bowl? Okay. Yeah, I mean that makes a, sense. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of events going down at the Hollywood Bowl. Now, if you move on down to the south, down in Tampa, you Tampanians. What do they call Tampans? Oh, I'm not even going to try that one. What do you call it? No, Arizonians, Californians, New Yorkers, New Jerseyers. They call them something, but Tampians, let's just say Tam- the, Tampians. The people of Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are hanging at a popular spot, the Cheesecake Factory. That's the most. That's right? what That's what has been reported, and of course, the Planet Fitness. So there are your Lifty Awards. Uh, so if you've got uh, here in the city of Phoenix, or maybe you're listening on the podcast, you're hanging out. Tell us what you think. Where I mean, I'm I'm saying definitely. There's some drink action. Sure. There's some bevies. There's sure. some beverages going down. Sure. And I like to see. We did the Mothers Against Drunk Driving at the garage. We had folks come out and sign a pledge to not drink and drive. I like this, the Lifty Awards. I do too. That's good. It's good stuff. So what's shaking in your world of the news there? Well, you know, we're talking about Manhattan. We're talking about Ferraris, right, Frank? I love Manhattan. Okay, so this is a Ferrari 458 Spider. I love Ferraris. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you thought of a song? Ferrari, whoa, Ferrari, Look whoa. at you. Wow, where's the music? How's that? How does that sound? Damn, you go from the garage to a little good? solo act over here, <laughs> like a Carnegie Hall action. So check this out, Frank. So this 458 Spider, okay, uh, this guy actually pays $800 a month to leave his vehicle in a parking garage. A few hours later, when he came out, 
$19,500 worth of damage oh, to his Ferrari. Yeah, you're going to have some expense. What the happened? Entire, the entire side was smashed. The passenger door ruined Now, it. who did this? Who's the maniac that messed with this man's now, Ferrari? Now, this is valet parking at a Manhattan parking garage. Oh, and the sad thing was... The employees had nothing to say. They had no explanation. Oh, they they did. Yeah, I know. So he sued them. Of course, what would you? Of course, you'd at least sue him. He sued him, and then I was, have, was a, a little, couple of customers in Italian. I would have been. We have to talk to Luca. But I just mean, a, how do you how do you deal with somebody <laughs> mess with your Ferrari? I mean, you. Uh, so that you're telling me that no one was responsible. These valet individuals. Nope. They actually said that the um, that nobody knew what happened. They, yeah. could, they could not account for it. They could not answer right. what happened. The people want to know, Susie, this was your Ferrari. It was your beautiful red Ferrari, your pride and joy. What would you have done in a case like that? Now, you're a nice person. You're a sweetheart. But they just messed with your Ferrari. How would you handle that? I probably would sue. <laughs> I probably would sue. I'm telling you, I'm sorry. I would have, I would have probably dropped a few situations of an f-bomber situations yeah but nineteen thousand five hundred worth of damage yeah well no, ferraris can easily uh easily get into uh, some situations there well we're going to take you on a journey uh luca Dolmonte, our friend from italy is going to join us uh the author of an incredible book uh we're going to talk more about that the legend enzo ferrari you guys want to stay tuned we're going on a journey ferrari Next, Bolt-On Technologies Automotive Software Solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-On Technologies software provide customer vehicle condition reports including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Well, all right. Welcome back. Frank and Susie hanging out with you every Wednesday. If you're catching us on KFNX, we appreciate you guys. Podcast, we love you. Thanks for hanging on Sunday. Uh, before we bring on our special guest, we've got JB with Bolts on Technology uh, hanging with us. What up? Yo, guys. How you all doing? We're doing well, man. You bring us uh, some juicy juice every, every week for the people. Uh, the challenge question. And so... We're talking Ferraris today, man. And we, we got a little Ferrari action on the challenge question for our... Oh, yes, we do. You ready? Go ahead, brother. All right. Well, you know, today you get Ferraris and colors from yellow to metallic gray, but originally they were all red, and it wasn't Enzo's idea. Oh. Red was the color that the International Automotive Federation assigned to all Italian Grand Prix cars. Okay. And you know what? Even though there's other colors available, most people still like red. So today's question is, it's a true or false question. The question is, is over 80% of Ferrari cars today red? Ah, so is it, you're saying are Ferrari, 80% of those Ferrari cars that are out there, 80% are red. Is that what you're saying? True or false? True or false. Yeah. All right, if you got the question, we got the $50 Visa gift card waiting for you, a holiday season, 480-655-8870. We would really prefer a phone call in studio. Uh, certainly you can text 480 8870. Always brief with JB. JB, we're going to get you on for a full show, my friend, very soon. <laughs> Rock on. <laughs> All right, JB, if you know the answer to that, but uh, we are going to bring on a very special guest. Uh, we are privileged and honored, uh, drawing on years and years of research uh, throughout Italy and abroad, author and inside of the Ferrari Empire, the book, Luca Dalmonte. Welcome to the show, partner. Well, thank you. Good afternoon. And we're catching you. Are you calling us from Italy? 
I'm calling you from Italy when it's 20 minutes after midnight. Oh! oh. Well, if, now listen. We know you Italians after midnight celebrate. It's still a celebration, though, right? <laughs> well, I actually I actually write at night, so it's no Good problem for you. at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of writing, writing you have a book uh, that has was released. Of course, you've got a few books. Uh, having yeah. some really great insight uh, to the Enzo Ferrari legend in that empire of such amazing history. How did you get deep into the history of Ferrari? Well, um, well, I'm a history. I'm a history major, actually. You know, I, okay. I, I graduated from the University of Kentucky back in '87. I'm a political science and history major, so, so I've always been interested not so much in mechanic as in the history behind the cars and the people behind the cars and you know as with many car companies but especially with ferrari there is so much history behind it and um, it's always been one of my goals to write a good book a long book or in-depth book about Enzo. and um, when i joined ferrari back in 2001 i realized that i was on the right path because i could gain access not necessarily to archives, but to people. And there are so many people, you know, gravitating around the Ferrari company, you know, especially in the U.S. And that lends itself, um, I, I think, some of the best books written, Susie, and I think you'll agree, isn't necessarily sort of the research from the black and white written perspective. It truly is the people and the culture uh, behind uh, the total history. Tell us about Enzo in his younger years during the early... Uh, 1900s. Where did Enzo really get his inspiration from? Well, he, uh, well, he 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 remembers like he's always been. He always wanted to be a race um, a racing driver. You know, when he was young, he wanted. He tried to be a journalist. When he was like 16 years old, he would write stories for his hometown newspaper, and he was actually pretty good. But back in 1908, when he was, when he was 10 years old, his father took him to see his first race near Bologna, which is not too far down the road from Modena, where he was born and where he lived. And he talked about a spark, like the, the, a spark ignited in his heart that day, which was September the 6th, 1908. Um, and ever since, you know, whatever he dreamed of was like being a racing driver, which he, which he actually gets to do. The fact is, he's always been a very pragmatist person, very pragmatic, and he soon realizes that he doesn't really have what it takes to be the greatest driver around. You know, he's no Michael Schumacher, he's no Mario Andretti. Sure, yeah. So he decides that he wants to stay in the car, in the motor racing car business, and so he starts, you know, thinking of other ways where he can make a difference. Right. So, I mean, there was a sense of uh, Enzo early on, he had the capacity, and I look at uh, Enzo Ferrari's, uh, not just the race le race legend and sort of the Ferrari brand, but I think one of the core parts of that is understanding the limits of where you can go and sort of the talents, and, and Enzo realized that, and, and how did he transition? There were years with Alfa Romeo. Uh, talk to us about that era. Tell us about that. Well, he starts to... to to race in 1919, and then in 1920, he races his first race with Alfa Romeo. Um, by 1923, he's won a few races, you know, 
know, minor races. But he's up against very stiff competition within Alfa Romeo. You know, people like Antonio Ascari and Giuseppe Campari, they were like big 1920s racing drivers. And they were, they were his teammates. And he realized very early on that there was no, there was no way that he could beat them. So at one point he realizes that he should probably do something else in life. And, and so it kind of steps down. He goes on racing until 1931, to be honest. But he's, by, by 1924, he realizes that if he's going to make a difference in motor racing, it will not be as a racing driver. It will be as something else. And this something else is basically entering cars on behalf of Alfa Romeo, which is what Scuderia Ferrari, the, the racing team in the 1930s, is all about. Right. Scuderia uh, Ferrari in, being the whole racing side of things so that's when he wanted to participate in racing however not behind the wheel he was really looking to win still but he had the discipline and the courage to say you know i want to be behind the design is that correct yeah correct correct okay. i mean there are so many there are so many analogies with walt disney in a way you know of course walt disney was a good he was a great cartoonist but he realizes that he could be much more than that right he could be an inspiration or others with probably more talent in drawing or in racing or in engineering in the case of Enzo Ferrari than, than he had. Right. And so he kind of steps take kind of take steps back, inventing, creating something that just wasn't there at the time, which is like the, the whole idea of a, a completely structured racing team. Right. If you're just joining us we've got uh the Ferrari insider and author of Enzo Ferrari, Power, Politics, and the Making of an Automobile Empire. You can catch a book on Amazon. Uh, Luca Dal Monte calling us from Italy. Uh, as he transitioned, Enzo uh, had a lot of passion. Uh, Enzo was known to be very short with people. Is that a fair assessment? He wanted to get things done, but he had no time for the funny business. Um. At one point, yes. He was a very different man when he was young. Again, you know, he, he was, he's always been very, very charming. He could charm his way around with people, you know. Oh, come on, you like Italians got a charm. That's what, come on. <laughs> well, no, we, somehow that. we don't have a hard time <laughs> believing that, Mr. Luca. <laughs> no, but he was always, no, 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 but he was always very eager to learn. Right. Again, go back to the 1920s. The 1920s are, the, probably the most important decade, decade in um, in his life because that's where he learns, that's where he understands what is going, what it takes to be whatever he wants to be. So you know he has to learn from other people, whether it's the commercial director of Alfa Romeo or Antonio Ascari, who was probably the 1920s greatest greatest racing driver. So in, at that point in the 1920s. He was a very charming young man who was trying to make his way up. Then, of course, once he becomes the king of the empire, he starts being you know, short with people. Right. Um, not all the time, of course, which is precisely what I, what I wanted to prove or try to prove with my research and with my book. Like, you know, you, you know you're not always angry at people. You know, there are going to be moments in your life, in your day, when... Yeah, there is like a tender moment, or like you know, you, you know, you're generous with people. You, yeah. You're not always upset. 
you, you don't always shout at people, which I think is precisely the kind of man that I was able to trace down with all this research and talking to all those people who worked with him and lived with him. Right. Um, his family was very close, is this correct, as he started growing into uh, the Ferrari brand, yeah? Well, he, uh, his, father, his father actually dies in 1916 when he's only 18, and his brother dies the same year during World War One. So he is left only with his mother. The good fortune is that very early on in life he finds the woman who will... Uh, he, who he will eventually marry. And even though this will never be a happy wedding, a happy marriage, I mean, um, it was a very close working relationship. You know, she stayed with him. She helped him out. She looked over, you know, the, uh, the, the financial side of the factory. You know, by the, by the, by the late 1920s, they got married in 1923. They met in 1919. They lived together beginning 1921, they get married in 1923. By the late 20s, they're already pretty distant, actually, you know, emotionally. But he will never leave her, even though he will have many other stories with many other, many other ladies. Um, but she will always be a constant in his life, not necessarily on the affection and emotional side, but definitely on the business side. Right. During that time, it was tumultuous. Uh, Europe uh, was going through a lot. The, the whole world was going through a lot. Uh, late twenties and so on. Um, did did Enzo struggle uh, financially in the early days, or was he always supportive of making the money to support what would become these amazing race vehicles and platforms? Um, well, he's, he starts out with money. Um, in his autobiography, he wants you to know, he wants the reader to know that he's very that he comes from very humble origins. Uh, that's not really the case. Okay, they were not, you know, extremely rich people. But his father was a very well-to-do man. Just to like to have you an idea, you know, whenever when his father buys his first car, there are only twenty-six other cars in the whole province of Modena. So you know, wow. it's not cars were not just for everybody. So he has money. The problem is that. In 1920, when Enzo is only 22, he thinks he knows enough to start his own you know, coach-building company. And by 1922, he loses all the money because at that point, is not the Enzo Ferrari that he will eventually be, and he has to basically shut down the business. Um, so there's a period in the mid-1920s where he's kind of struggling with money, and his, mom, his mother actually helps him out. Um, but the late, but by the late 1920s, he's already back on his feet. But he has learned a lesson, you know, like like the Broadway producers, you know, never bet on your own money. Which sure. is why, in 1929, when he founds, when he creates Scuderia Ferrari, he has the money to do it, but he doesn't put it down. He has money from very wealthy gentlemen drivers, you know, uh -huh. most of the capital financially speaking, of Scuderia Ferrari's early years, 1920 through 1931, come from other people. He has the money, but he doesn't want to be hungry again, like Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind. He doesn't right, no, he's, uh, 
He's, uh, you know, the entrepreneur uh, of the day for sure. Uh, Cavallino Rampante, that's the prancing horse that uh, the Ferraris right. are. Say that alleged. again, Frank. I, I'm trying to practice in the Italian. Cavallino Rampante. How do you do, Luca? That's pretty good. All right, that's this is the prancing good. horse. Many people uh, who are intimate with Ferrari uh, have seen the Ferraris and, of course, the prancing horse. Before we get to next break, tell us the story behind that wonderful logo, the Black Prancing Stallion. Great story. It's, it's a very Italian story in a way. You know, the, the prancing horse, the Cavallino Rampante, um, was the World War One emblem, logo, the shield, the badge of this Francesco Baracca aviator. He was a World War One ace, one of those first flying uh, aviators, pilots. Right. And he had this prancing horse on his on his um, plane. He was shot down in nineteen. 19- oh, I think we lost Uh-oh. Luca. But I think uh, Luca was going to go on to explain the story. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up. Luca's going to come back. We're talking about uh, the journey uh, through history. Uh, in fact, he's calling us back. We'll get him on next segment. We're diving into Enzo Ferrari, the the history, the legend behind. The Ferrari Empire. Neat history. Absolutely. So stay tuned. We're going to get Luca back online. Uh, if you got any questions, 480-655-8870. And we asked you, are 80% of Ferraris red? True or false? $50 Visa gift card. Next. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time. The quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients. And they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Amazing service. Knowledgeable counter folks. A complete line of original equipment. Parts that our customers deserve. If you're an installer... Get on to PartsAuthority.com. Check locations nationally near you. PartsAuthority.com. This is Wrench Nation. Call or text your questions now. 480-655-8870. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Frank and Susie hanging out. Uh, we have uh, Luca Dal Monte from Italy. Luca, are you there? I'm here. Uh, yeah, I'm our apologies. Getting disconnected. Yeah, it's all good. We'll keep moving. We were talking about the story behind the prancing horse and the sort That's of right. World War One ace uh, fighter pilot. Tell us more. Okay, see, by, in 1924, Enzo goes to this. Um, racetrack near the, the birthplace of Francesco Baracca, and he wins. And when he's on the podium, you know, being handed like the trophy by Francesco Baracca's mother, you know, she says she says to him, you know, I'm going to give you a special gift. You know, why don't you use my son, prancing horse, put it on your car, and it will bring you luck. Wow. Um, wow. He was he was really moved by the gesture, of course. He explains it was like you know pretty young, fairly good racing driver, and he was the mother of a legend. Wow. So he doesn't do anything with it for eight years. But in 1932, three years into the Scuderia Ferrari life, he starts using it. And, of course, the prancing horse, I guess, uh, along with the, the Golden Arches, uh, one of the most recognizable uh, logos. Well, you know, there's there's something to be said. We have to talk about recognized logos. And one of the 
I mean, I think recognized logo keeps it simple, but one of the most recognized brands, respected brands, you know, I want to jump a little bit around here. Uh, Ferrari makes uh, some of the most uh, amazing vehicles uh, with the horsepower and horse plant and luxury uh, that you can outfit in many ways. But many people don't know Ferrari uh, is, uh, is a world-renowned uh, brand behind boutiques throughout the world. Uh, Ferrari has boutiques. Is this correct? Tell us about the, the retail side of the Ferrari brand. I'd like to know about that. Well, correct. You know, the number of dealers is very, very uh, limited. Like, there are probably like 40 in the U.S. all across the United States, which is very, very, a very small number. Um, many people, you know, if you don't live in New York or California or uh, in other areas, you have, to, you have to travel a good number of miles just to get to a Ferrari dealer. But this is all part of the exclusivity that Ferrari wants to keep for their brand and for their cars. Right. Um, and it's part of the mystique, you know. And so Ferrari used to say that you always, you always have to build one car less than you, than you can sell. And in, in the good years, in the, in the, during the good times, the real job of a good Ferrari dealer, and there are great Ferrari dealers in the U.S., of course, is to manage the waiting list. You know, not to get people upset as they, as they wait for their car to be delivered. Well, we could probably do a whole show on that waiting list. <laughs> what is the wait well, for a Ferrari? Well, what is the wait, Luca? Yeah. Well, it depends from the car, from the model. It depends, you know, on 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 on, on the years, of course. But let me tell you this story. Back in, in two thousand and four, when I was at Ferrari North America, we were celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of Ferrari in the U.S. And we were doing this, you know, open air exhibition on the Rock, Rock, at the Rockefeller uh, Center. Oh yeah, yeah. On the, pla- on the plaza, and we had like the red carpet with all the Ferraris, beautiful Ferraris on the current lineup and the old days. And then one, at one point, one, one man, one gentleman, you know, he gestures at me and says, you know, he asked me if I can go over to him. And then I go, and he gets out of his pocket uh, a photograph of his 360 Modena, you know, silver with himself. And he says, like, you know, this is this car. I waited for three and a half years for this car, and I got delivery of the car, what, like last month or two months ago. And he said, I wanted to thank anybody from Ferrari because I finally had it. Which, again, there's a story there. You, know, you wait for three and a half years and you want to thank somebody because you finally got it. Wow. Yeah. Great. That's Ferrari. But I said, I want to thank you because, you know, until now you were just a number, a statistic. I knew people would wait three and a half years, but I never really shook hands with anybody who had actually done it. Right. I mean, I think and that's this, the family and sense of of a brand, uh, especially an iconic brand like Ferrari, uh, people get it. They get it, uh, and they're willing to wait. Yeah. Years, this was four years into the life cycle of the 360 Modena. It was not like it just came out. Right, right. And, and that's, uh, for those of you listening, that's the incredible two-seater mid-engine. It's rear-wheel drive, uh, amazing car, and, 
you know, I, I I will just throw this out there, Luca. First things first, everyone that comes on the Ranch Nation show, uh, I would say since you're calling in from Italy, anywhere in the country, <laughs> if you're hanging, I'll come see you. But specifically here in Arizona, we'd love to we'd love to visit with you uh, for perhaps a book signing or anything that you have. And speaking of which, uh, I've got to set this up and tell you, folks, uh, uh, a lot of you love motorsports and the history. Uh, of course, we covered so many different stories here on the show, but. Please go out and check out Luca Del Monte's uh, amazing book, Enzo Ferrari, Power Politics and the Making of an Automobile Empire. Uh, you can catch that on Amazon. I'd like to move on a little bit. Uh, Enzo realized that uh, he sort of had a knack and a gift, and he was on his way. When did La Scuderia, I know I screwed the name up, when did they realize that they were really competitive in racing and this thing started taking off for them? Well, it started in in, um, in the in the very early 1930s, before the Germans came in. As you know, by 1933, when Mercedes, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. when Adolf Hitler became chancellor, you know, uh, sports in general and automobile motor racing in particular becomes a, a propaganda tool. Right. So the, the the German government starts fueling in money into Mercedes and Auto Union. So. By 1935 and then 36, you know, the Alfa Romeo, Ferrari are not winning anymore. But in the very early part of the 1930s, when motor racing was very much an affair of Italian brands, because it was Ferrari, Alfa Romeo entered by Scuderia Ferrari and Maseratis, you know, and Enzo was really becoming very, very competitive with his own cars because he was able to get the best drivers of the era, even the Germans, you know, before. Mercedes and Alfa Union came to motor racing. They wanted to race for an Alfa Romeo entered by Scuderia, managed by Scuderia Ferrari. Right, right. Um, you and know, then, and then of, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Of after, after World War II, when he moves on from just a racing team to building his own cars, by the late by the late 1940s, also thanks of Italian American Luigi Chinetti. You know, he starts racing, Ferrari starts racing at important international events like the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which Kinetti wins with a Ferrari in 1949 and then throughout the 50s, of course. Right. You mentioned, real quick, because uh, we're, we're going to keep you on for next segment. We, we've got so much more to talk sure. about. Um, if you're joining us, Luca Dal Monte from Italy uh, with a wonderful book. It gets very intimate with the... Uh, Enzo Ferrari's history. Um, many manufacturers uh, have seen sort of this uh, takeover action uh, throughout it, its history, and it, it has been known that the performance side of Ferrari, when Fiat sort of came into the picture, that racing development side of Ferrari was not too impressed with that. Could you give us a sense of what La Scuderia was uh, feeling when Fiat came in? Well, let me take you one step back because before Fiat there was Ford. Oh, I, yeah. What? Well, Ford. Please tell us Ford, about Ford. Ford yeah. Motor company. In the spring of 1963, the, there are talks between the Ford people out of Michigan uh, to buy Ferrari, and the idea was wow. to actually establish two different companies: Ford Ferrari, who would be like a passenger cars, and then Ferrari Ford, which would be like racing cars. And the deal goes up in smoke when Enzo realizes that he will not have complete freedom 
in, in a decision-making freedom on the motor racing side. He didn't so want that control. Is, they didn't want that control on that. He wanted to continue the legend, yeah? Exactly. He yeah. Couldn't, couldn't care less. You know, he would delegate everything to the Ford company as far as the passenger side, you know, the Berlinettas and the Gran Turismos and the Convertibles was concerned. But he wanted to keep full control on the motor racing side. And Ford was willing to let, let him have some up to a certain budget. But anything that would go above that the budget you know, established at the beginning of the year, he would have to get the approval from, from Michigan, from Billboard. Right. And this is the reason why the whole thing went up. In it the- fell apart. And some would say the uh, wasn't the GT40 sort of a... Uh- and attack back. Correct. Yeah. Well, you guys, uh, stay tuned. Luca, we're going to continue through the break. Luca Del Monte from Italy, uh, diving in from all over the world, man. This show is amazing. You guys stay tuned. We're diving into the Enzo Ferrari empire. Stay tuned. Frank here with Wrench Nation. We appreciate you guys tuning in every week to the Wrench Nation Car Talk Show. But did you guys know I'm not basket weaving? I don't do roofing. I actually own Desert Car Care of Chandler. Boy, and I've got a great team down there. If you've got car repair or maintenance needs, I invite you to stop by my garage over a cup of coffee. Maybe you've got that large estimate and you're not sure where to go. Give me a call, 480-726-6400, Desert Car Care of Chandler. This is Wrench Nation. Car talk, car culture, car tips, car music, all that is car. Welcome back. We've got Luca Del Monte from Italy, uh, the author of uh, what was really a very popular written book out in Italy, now released here in the United States. Uh, Luca Del Monte, author of Enzo Ferrari, Power, Politics, and the Making of an Automobile Empire. Welcome back, Luca. Well, thank you. Thank yes. You. Um, we have, we probably have, and the show's never long enough, uh, but we'd like to dive in a little bit. Um, you know, early years, uh, it seemed that Enzo was uh, recruiting everybody and everybody who had talent, including the mm-hmm. Germans. And uh, moving on, uh, fast forwarding, many of our listeners are very familiar uh, with the name of Michael Schumacher. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, tell us, uh, during uh, the later years... Uh, Enzo was able, he seemed to have a talent to muster up a good team. How did that relationship start with uh, Michael Schumacher? Well, the relationship with Schumacher starts in the early 1990s, um, in the, the mid-1990s, when Jean Todt, you know, Luca de Montezemolo becomes president, you know, Enzo dies in 88, and Luca de Montezemolo, who had worked with Enzo in the 1970s, becomes the president of Ferrari. And Ferrari has been going through a pretty tough time in the late 80s and the early 90s, also on the commercial side, by the way, which is kind of strange in Ferrari's history. Right. But on the racetrack... When you say commercial side, are you talking, was there a bump in the road for the brand? Um, Correct. I'm talking okay. about passenger cars. Gotcha. The fact, is, the fact is, when Enzo dies, okay, we were talking about Fiat earlier on. In 1969... He signs a deal with Fiat, okay, and he gives Fiat 50% of the company. And the remaining 40, or the remaining 50%, when Enzo dies, 10% goes to Piero, his son, his son, you know, today is the vice president of the company, and the other 40% goes to Fiat. 
So by 1988, when Enzo Ferrari died, she had become the owner of 90% of, of Ferrari. Again, it was a very different company from Fiat today. And the first thing they did was to increase production. And it's always a bad choice when you That went against the grain. Ferrari himself, Enzo had said, you know, what was, make one more than you need, if that, right? Exactly. Yeah. But today's Fiat understand that. Go back to 35, 30 years, where they did not understand it. So they increased production way too much. And then the world economy hits uh, a, a, a low point, and you are left with many unsold Ferraris. Again, it, 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 it basically never happens in Ferrari history, but it did happen right after Enzo died. Anyway, and also on the Formula One, uh, by, by, by that time, the only motor racing category in which Ferrari was was Formula One, and the British were winning. And so Jean Todd and Luca de Montezemo, Jean Todd was the team manager and today's FIA president, of course. Um, they were looking for, for the best driver around because they needed to turn things around. And of course, by then, with Ayrton Senna dead, the best driver was Michael Schumacher. And so Michael came on board. He came at Ferrari in 1996. Um, it was a few years before Mike. Michael starts to win races with Ferrari right in his first season, 1996. I think like it takes him on like four races, four Grand Prix to start winning. But he doesn't win the World Championship until 2000, you know, the right. year 2000. So it's, it's just a number of years. And then when he starts, it doesn't end. It never ends. I mean, I was lucky enough to be at Ferrari in those Michael Schumacher years, you know. Um, and I lived through all those wonderful, you know, championships, world titles, one after the other. And that was an incredible time, you know. Montezemolo president, Jean-Paul running the team, Ross Braun as the technical uh, genius, and Michael, of course, a wonderful guy off the track, and an amazing, amazing, inspired driver on the track. Certainly one of the, uh, statistically, one of the greatest drivers uh, the sport's ever seen. There's no no doubt about it. Uh, and he was, paid, he was paid pretty well, wasn't he? I he, mean, he, he was. Uh, Michael Schumacher was, was, well, many of the drivers were, but I, I think Ferrari took pride in that, that they not only had a winning driver by way of Michael Schumacher, but uh, that they took care of their driver. Fair no, enough. absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Uh, absolutely, but Michael, you know, the Michael Schumacher years, you know, when you look, you, you look back at Ferrari's, you know, 70 years, because the date of, of, the, of the foundation of Ferrari's is 1947, so it, it just, Ferrari just celebrated, celebrated 70 years last year. You know, the Michael Schumacher years, along with the Mickey Lauda years, are probably like the most fruitful ones. You know, the one where Ferrari kept winning on and on and on and, Success never seemed to end. Give us a sense um, today um, with technology, as the years have transpired. What is a Ferrari buyer looking for today that may be a little different from perhaps twenty years ago? Well, today well, you always you always looking for exclusivity. Okay, as we said before, um, Ferrari is not the only exclusive. Uh, car brand out there, of course, and you can be exclusive even with more cars than Ferrari makes. But exclusivity is certainly 
number one. Uh, but they, and then there is, of course, the technical component. You know, Ferrari is is normally uh, a forerunner in, in a lot of technical solutions. But what is it as ama- what is amazing today? You know, in eight of Ferrari's days, Ferraris were beautiful. You know, I'm talking about again passenger cars. You know, road going cars, not necessarily motor racing. Sure, racing cars. You know, they were very beautiful, stunning to look at but very difficult to drive. A Ferrari today is just as beautiful, but much easier to drive. It's much more you know, driver-friendly, meaning that you can really take out your Ferrari and go out and do your groceries and then come back. It's amazing that the, the level of sophistication that Ferraris have today, you know, the technology is there, you know, the, the performance is there, you can still do like amazing stuff well, that's what I admire about the brand. I mean, uh, with ADAS, uh, driver awareness systems, and so on, it, that doesn't that doesn't curtail the lure, the speed, the horsepower, the unique luxury and styling, but at the same time still answers today's luxury market needs. Uh, and that, you know, whether mom wants to go to the grocery store and, and the Ferrari, it's, it still can take care of that. Uh, we want to give you some opportunity uh, and so appreciate you uh, with us, could you tell us where the people may find you? Uh, perhaps some book signings. We want to give you an opportunity to uh, let the world know where you'll be at in the next uh, month or um, so. Uh, well, I, I did. I did a small tour of the U.S. back in October. I did Detroit, New York, so Philadelphia, and Boston. I might be back. I might be back um, in the in the winter. I have a few dates already. Set in Florida, uh, we don't have the time yet. Um, so, so now I'm, I'm actually finishing a new book. So I'm actually stuck here in Italy. You're so, not stuck. You're excited. You're writing a new book. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, what I'm saying. Can you can you tell kids. us about the new book, or is that top secret? <laughs> no, it's not top secret. Uh, the new book will be. Um, it will cover an area of Formula One racing that has basically never been covered before. It's the time in the mid to late 1970s in which Bernie Eccleston's Brabham is fitted with Alfa Romeo engines, uh, which is actually like a big window on the future because a car manufacturer did not give his its uh, engines to, to to racing teams in the 1970s, which is actually what happens today, by the way. Right. Um, and in the in the in the meantime, Alfa Romeo is developing their own cars. You know, going back to Formula One in 28 years, and this is in, this was like a wonderful story. I remember living through it when I was a kid, when I was a young man um, in the late 1970s, and um, so I wanted to write. You know, writing after after this biography of Ainsley Ferrari, it was very challenging for me to find a new story to tell. Yeah, and, you're fresh. Uh, your, your albums have been so popular, you've got to come out with a new song, my friend. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like, you know... No, yeah. Well, listen, it's been yeah. a pleasure, and I'm so grateful uh, after midnight you calling in. Uh, Luca Del Monte, Enzo Ferrari, Power Politics in the Making of an Automobile Empire. Get the book on Amazon. Luca, please, if you're in Arizona, you got a place at our garage. We'll have yep. some espresso together. Susie and I, we would love yep. to meet with you. You are a great guest. Love to. Thank you so much. 
You know, it's fascinating, uh, and hopefully you guys got some insight there. Of course, catch the book on Amazon. I do want to mention before we close out that uh, the Ollie Autonomous Vehicle is now here at the EVIT campus. Not quite the Ferrari, oh, but EVIT, the shuttle. Yeah, the little yeah, shuttle. Yeah. So that we're going to talk about that more in the future. And, of course, uh, we appreciate you guys every week. Give us a podcast review, please. Uh, iTunes, tell us as that's what we need to do. Uh, until then, we're off for two weeks. We may do some videos from inside the garage. You can catch that on the podcast. Man, we so love you people hanging with us every week. As I say every week, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug a mechanic. <laughs>